0: to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place.
1: Hello, everyone. It's Wednesday night, and that means it's time for the happiest hour on the internet, Friends and in Fiction. So let's get rolling. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. I'm Mary Kay Andrews. I'm Patty Callahan-Henry.
2: And I'm Ron Block.
1: And this is Friends in Fiction. For New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support indie bookstores, authors, and librarians. And speaking of librarians, Ron Block is in the Christian seat tonight. She has deserted us for Paris. We can't believe that she chose Paris over us. Now, we're so excited for her. It is a very well-deserved trip. We hope she's going to do a little research while she's there. We're being honest. So tonight, we'll be welcoming Thridi Umrigar, author of The Extraordinary, The Museum of Failures. But before we get started, all of us at Friends in Fiction want to just express that our hearts and prayers are with all the families affected by this week's tragedies. And we want to reassure you that we are still here to do what we always do, which is find love, understanding, and common ground through the stories that bind us all. So with that said, let's get down to the business of talking about books.
3: Yeah, we are all so tremendously grateful for all of you out there who have supported us in our book launches this year. It truly means the world. And of course, you know that underlying everything is our mission to help support independent booksellers. One way you can help us do that is to buy from them when and where you can, or to visit our own friendsandfictionbookshop.org page, where you can find 3D's books and books by the four of us and all of our guests at a discount. And
4: speaking of amazing books, don't forget to join the Friends and Fiction official book club, which is a separate Facebook page with Brenda and Lisa. Be sure to follow them on October 16th when they will be discussing the followers with Brady Godfrey.
3: And now, before we introduce tonight's guest, who is a lot of fun, y'all do not want to miss Trudy. She's fun. I have some big news to share you know that Bright Lights Big Christmas is going to debut on the New York Times bestseller list this week
1: at number nine. Number Ooh. nine! Woo! And I will have to say
5: notably, Any horns we haven't something. received
1: the list yet tonight, so... <laughs> we're, we're no, I, Where did you get that Fancy Pants nine?
3: Wow. That was the last time one of us made the list. I just happened to have it. Oh, that was when, <laughs> That was Kristen. That's amazing because yeah, I never throw anything away. Anyway, I asked you guys to buy my book, Damon, and you actually really, really did, yeah. and I'm grateful, <laughs> but you know, there's no rest for the wicked, and even as I'm still out touring for my current book, it's time to reveal the cover for my summer 2024 book, Woo-wee! and y'all here on the air tonight is the world debut, <laughs> you're going to be the very first to get to see the new cover. In this live sneak preview, the title is "Summers at the Saint." Yay! And it's coming on May seventh, twenty twenty-four. Drum roll, please.
2: <laughs> <Whee>! <laughs> there it is. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. So
3: great. It's so great. I like the streaks coming down. I don't think I saw that wasn't on the I original. Don't remember one, one. I remember that one. I don't know. We've seen so many different iterations. I, I love it. it. Thanks. I'm happy with it too. I'm drapes. Drapes. Not drapes. I thought it was sunlight. Drapes. Yeah, it's, it's a hotel room um, drapes. I'm so happy with this package, and I think artist extraordinaire Mike Storings it's and awesome. the team at St. Martin's Press really knocked it out of the park this time. The book is already now available for pre-order and Meg will share the pre-order link in the comments. And stay tuned to my socials and the Friends in Fiction socials to see the cover and the pre-order link everywhere online tomorrow. I love the pink in
4: it. It's like a- beautiful. Yeah, I like it too. Uh, Yeah. it's not even pink. What would you call that color? Carl? Kind of fuchsia. 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 Right, we're gonna
3: love the interior design um, madam. <laughs>
1: no,
6: that's
3: that's I said magenta. I like that. I think it's magenta. Maybe. Orchid. Maybe. It could be
4: orchid.
1: It could I think be orchid. magenta. Is redder. I think. Yeah, it's I think hmm. so. I like orchid. I like fuchsia fuchsia. orchid. Orchid is yes. Yeah, I the like that. Orchid mm-hmm. is on mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. All right, we we've, we've solved that. Let's it's get very on. Barbie, got it. all set. It's very Barbie of the moment, also, which oh, is yeah. Yes,
2: mm-hmm. that's just yes.
4: That's okay. our
1: MKA. Holla,
4: always of the moment.
2: oh oh, oh, not that again (laughs) did you ever get the shirt that said holla on it yes 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 so uh with all this great news don't you have even more news to share
3: i do the the polls are closed the ballot boxes have been stuffed (laughs) and the votes tallied and i am so thrilled to let you know Bright Lights Big Christmas was chosen as the reader's choice for the CBS New York Book Club with Mary Cabby.
6: Wee-hoo! Wee-hoo!
3: this is—you know—it's just another testament to the power of this amazing community. So thank you all from the bottom of my heart for casting your votes and putting your support behind me and Bright Lights Big Christmas. And we uh, will share the links to the TV coverage. Um, I was actually on TV this morning at. Well, I had to get makeup at 7 a.m. That's why my hair looks good. and I still have on makeup, although, you know, it's getting a little faded by now.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, anyway. So I had a haircut that I was supposed to go to the day before Maryland, which for those of you who were there, I'm so sorry I was not there. I was not feeling well. And it was also very not feeling well on Tuesday. So I have not had a haircut in so long that like I don't even know what to do. It's really, really bad. But anyway. Oh, I think it
4: looks really. Too- I like it. I like it when it's so Hers
1: looks good. Mine is way too long. But that's okay. We're just rolling with it. Okay. So we are so excited because tonight we are going to welcome Thridi Umregar to the Friends and Fiction stage.
4: Theridi is the best-selling author of several novels, including Bombay Time, The Space Between Us, and If Today, Be Sweet. Her books have been translated into several languages and published in over 15 countries.
1: 3D was, oh, that is not
2: me. That is that's you, Ron. Not, oh, that's me. 3D <laughs> was born in Bombay, India, and came to the United States when she was 21. Wow. After earning an MA in journalism in the U.S., Theriti worked for several years as an award-winning reporter, columnist, and magazine writer. Her articles have been published in national publications, such as the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Boston Globe.
1: She also earned a PhD in English. In 1999, 3D won a one-year Neiman Fellowship to Harvard University, which is given to mid-career journalists.
3: She's a distinguished university professor of English at Case Western, U- Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland. She's active on the national lecture circuit and has spoken at book festivals such as the L.A. Festival of Books, the Tucson Book Festival and the Miami Book Fair International at universities such as MIT, Harvard and Spelman College and at literary societies, civic and business organizations and public libraries all over the place. Uh,
4: In other yeah, words, hover.
1: lacquer. <laughs> oh, <yeah.
6: laughs>
1: and she's God. here with us tonight. Can you even believe it? Yeah. Um, it. Sean, can you please bring 30 on? Hi. Guys. Hello. Hi. We're so, Can go ex- drinking now?
6: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> We're so excited to have you here tonight to talk about this engrossing new novel, The Museum of Failures. Um, this is a novel about Remy, a man who returns to Bombay from Ohio, where he is currently living, with the hope of adopting a Parsi child. While he is there, he discovers that his cousins haven't been caring for his mother, who was left in their care, and that she is in the hospital very ill and has quit eating and speaking. Despite their tumultuous relationship, he is swamped with guilt and vows to nurse her back to health as best he can in his short time in Bombay. His presence cheers his mother, and they are able to return home, where he stumbles upon a family secret and has to confront his past, his childhood, and everything he believed about his own life, just as he is about to embark on the journey of parenthood himself. So that's a little bit about what the Museum of Failures is about. Can you tell us a little more, and can you tell us what it's really about? Gosh, I was just sitting here thinking
6: this is the best summary that I have ever heard about this novel. <laughs> oh, that's very nice. I, I just feel like taking you on the road with me so that I'm, <laughs> I'm so bad at this kind of stuff and you're so obviously good at it. Oh, so, um, okay, what else can I tell you about this novel? What is it really about? I, I guess what it's really about is is the notion of forgiveness and mm-hmm. forgiveness Despite some really mighty betrayals, you know, at the hands of his own family, that that Remy stumbles upon and discovers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like most of us, I mean, thankfully most of us don't have such a huge bombshell ever dropped in our lives. But if we were to, I imagine that we would be faced with choices, right? Um, either to end up being angry and bitter, or to seek a path of reconciliation and forgiveness. And I guess a lot of the novel then hinges on the decisions that Remy makes.
1: It's beautifully said. Yes.
4: It's hard to know what our own books are really about. So, (laughs) but and sometimes I don't think we know until we're done writing them. (laughs) So that was beautiful. But Bombay is your land in many ways. I have never been, and you brought it to such vivid life in this novel. Readers will feel like they have visited and it's such a treat to discover in reading that the title of the book is actually a reference to Bombay. You write of your protagonist, Remy. He had often thought of Bombay as the museum of failures, an exhibit hall filled with thwarted dreams and broken promises. I also loved this passage. But this was the essence of Bombay, the city of duality and wild contradictions of skyscraper and slum. Can you talk to us about why you decided to set the novel in Bombay and how you went about painting such a clear picture of the city?
6: That's a great question, and I think I chose the setting of Bombay for two reasons. Uh, one is, it's the city of my birth. It's the city that I'm most familiar with. So it made logical sense to to set it there. But also, perhaps more significantly, is the fact that Remy himself um, is a Parsi. And uh, sorry, but here comes a brief, very quick history lesson. No, we want it. Oh, great. So the Parsis are this tiny, tiny, tiny minority, uh, religious... Um, An ethnic minority in India. Uh, I was raised a part RC and so is uh, Remy. Um, And basically uh, my ancestors came from what used to be Persia about a thousand years ago to India. Uh, And even though a thousand years is a very, very long time, believe it or not, they have really held on to a lot of their Persian roots. Mm. And um, customs and traditions, while also incorporating a lot of the local culture into into what's known as Parsi culture. So the Parsis are practitioners of an ancient faith called Zoroastrianism, Um, and the most recent estimates are that there are maybe around 40,000 to 100,000 Parsis left in the world. Oh, right? So, so it's a dying religion on top of everything else. But it's a very, it's a very sweet and joyous and exuberant kind of a community, right? Um, although they are faced with this existential threat um, of of decline. Um, and Remy belongs to that same community, and the vast majority of the Parsees in in India are are based in Bombay. You know. Bombay is sort of the most Western, the most cosmopolitan city in India. Uh, So a lot of them live there. So for both those reasons, personal as well as it making sense, um, I I decided to set the novel there.
4: Okay. When is the last time you were the? Do you go home? Do you? See Bombay I often? I do.
6: Not not terribly often. These days, I have very little family left there. So okay. it's more for professional reasons than personal. Though, of course, I do see friends and family when I'm there. Uh, and the last time I was there was just last year.
4: Okay. Yeah. So when you were working on this book, you were feeling the spaces and places of
6: Bombay again.
1: Yeah, yeah very much so. You painted that community as such a sort of joyful place. Like you really, it was something that you really could, could feel like the energy of that community. And that was really well done. I was going to just remind everybody really quickly that if you have a question that you would like to ask Thritty, um, drop it in our Facebook page, because if we have time, we will be taking some live questions. For her.
3: But now I have a question. Thridi, you said in an interview, immigration or migration in some ways is sort of the story of human history. In that sense, it's one of the most universal stories that human can't, humankind knows and tells itself now that is such a powerful notion and statement and immigration colors every aspect of this story and honestly i think of contemporary life yeah. remy thinks about it as you put it that persistent hope the immigrants dream of braiding the disparate strands of his life together and that is such a powerful notion I, I wish you'd tell us how Remy attempts to braid his disparate strands in this novel. And does one ever succeed in that?
6: Um, I'll, I'll answer the first half of the question because that's easier. Uh, I think, well, for instance, one of the things that he does when his beloved father is living despite the fact that, as some of you have alluded to, he has an extremely difficult relationship with his mom. Uh, He invites both of them uh, to his home in Columbus that he shares with his American wife, Kathy, um, for, you know, extended vacations. And um, there's a line in the book that says something to the effect of, you know, those are some of the happiest moments of his life when his entire world, his entire family is under the same roof and of course this is not a foreign notion to any of us who have families that we actually like right i mean <laughs> you don't in That's other crazy. words you don't have to be an immigrant um, to, to know that feeling of contentment and peace you know think of thanksgiving dinner without the cranky uncle you know how, <laughs> how, how, how joyous yeah, uncle. yeah. yeah. How, yes. how great that feels right <laughs> Um, So I think in all these ways, Remy tries to sort of bridge past and present uh, together as much as he can. Um, Does he succeed in this? I think he succeeds in the moment. You know, there are moments of great transcendent joy. Um, But overall, that feeling of sort of having a foot in two worlds, you know, yeah. of being very much an insider. I mean, he's he's a very success. He's he's an American for all outward purposes, right? He has a uh, wife that he gets along with very well. It's a loving marriage. Uh, he has a beautiful home in Columbus. He has a very successful business. I mean, he is the embodiment of the American dream, and yet there is some part of him. That always feels the sense of the divide itself. And, mm-hmm. you know, even though I'm pulling it completely out of context, when I wrote that passage, Mary Kay, I was thinking of the great Du Bois notion of double consciousness, you know. And of course, he was applying it to African Americans in a very specific manner. Right. Um, but I think for those of us who basically have built lives on the hyphen, so to speak, There is always that sense of um, do I belong everywhere, which is a very joyous and optimistic way of looking at one's life, or do I belong nowhere, which is the opposite, right? Mm -hmm. And depending on mood and what's happened on any given day, I I think we can fall into either or camp.
1: Building your life on the hyphen, that has to be one of, that is, wow. beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah.
3: Sounds like a sounds like an essay to me, Freddie. Get to it.
1: <laughs> okay, right now. After we have that drink.
3: Yeah.
6: <laughs> I'm having mine now. I, I don't know why I'm sounding like a slush, but hey, yeah. you guys are. <laughs> wrong. You're You're probably not! And every primitive. every sentence
3: you say makes me have other questions, and I, I have to I have to not go um, rogue and ask all my other. Many, many <laughs> questions that you've raised. I swear to God, I'm not going rogue tonight, y'all. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Sometimes
3: it's the best.
4: It is.
1: I know. Um, well, thirty. you have credited a couple of your teachers with inspiring you to become a writer, which I have to think must be maybe like the greatest honor of their entire life. <laughs> so could you tell us a little bit about these teachers and maybe your journey to publishing and how you got here?
6: Yeah, it was truly the long and winding road. You know, I mean, I grew up in a middle class home in in India. My dad had his own business. Everybody that we knew, every family friend, was you know they either worked at a bank or an office or they had their own businesses. I didn't know anybody who was like. what I would call a dreamer, you know, or a creative type. I mean, everybody was bent on making money and earning a good living and pulling themselves up by the bootstraps and all that. So I felt like a freak of nature very often because I I loved writing and I loved books and I was that kid, you know. Um, And there was no, I mean, I, I came from a very loving and supportive family in many ways, Uh, But my folks were horrified at the notion of me becoming a writer. I mean, they just, you know, how, how does one live if one does such a preposterous thing? So there was not that kind of support or encouragement. So what I had to do was turn to my schools for that. And I'm so lucky. I think I'm sitting here before you today because initially, like when I was in seventh grade or so, my English teacher, Greta Marquis was her name. And um, she just, she was one of those personalities. You know, she would come into the classroom and it was like she brought the world in with her. I, I remember, you know, her announcing in class in seventh grade that we were about to start reading Shakespeare. And we all like quaked in our boots because to us, you know, we'd all grown up hearing about Shakespeare, but we thought this was like, he was gonna speak in a different language that none of us spoke and we were so intimidated and she made Shakespeare. We read the comedies, obviously. Uh, She made it so much fun, right? And I learned a lot and she was very, very encouraging of me. As you know, I was one of those classic backbencher kind of students, you know, every great card that I brought home doesn't live up to her potential and all that and somehow she saw through all my posturing and wanting to be with the cool kids and, you know, all that. And and she was there for me every step of the way. So that was the first influence that I had. Um, I had never written a book before. One of the reasons that I applied for the Neiman Fellowship to Harvard was I was hoping against hope that it would give me an opportunity to do my own work, even while I was fulfilling, you know, the responsibilities of the fellowship. And I took a creative writing class with the great Brad Watson. And same thing. I, you know, what eventually became my first novel, uh, originated, the first chapter of that was a short story, I thought. And it was Brad who said to me, keep writing. And I have a feeling that this is a novel and not just a short story. Um, So every... Every step along the way, there's been somebody in my life who, who has encouraged me and brought me to this point.
3: That's amazing. I think we need to take a moment to have a moment of applause for amazing, inspiring yes. teachers.
5: Yes. Man.
3: Yes. I have a feeling you must be one too, Thridi. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well,
6: you know, uh, this is the other thing I wanted to say to you, that not only did Greta Marquis encourage me to someday become a writer to even imagine that future for myself. But I often think of her even today in the classroom, you know, the joy, the, her, her love for books, her passion for books was so infectious that, you know, I was already a bookworm, but many, many of my classroom, classmates had never picked up a book voluntarily and they started doing it after having her for a teacher. So if I can be, you know, half as good, It'll be, it'll be great for me. Not only a mentor, but
4: an inspiration.
6: Yeah.
4: Right.
1: yeah. I feel like I speak for all of us when I say we wish that we were in your class. <laughs> I <know. Exactly>. yeah. <laughs> well, as a writing teacher, do you have any words of wisdom or maybe a sort of writing tip that you could share with our audience, which really means with us? <laughs> <laughs>
6: okay. Um, You know, I feel like there are two kinds of writers in this world, Uh, those who proclaim that they have a book within them and they talk the book out at cocktail parties or here we go again with the cocktail reference uh, (laughs) or, you know, wherever, like they basically speak the book out and they never get down to actually writing it. And then there are people like us who actually at some point made a promise to ourselves that whatever story was burning within us, we were going to set it free. And we were willing to pay the price for it, right? I mean, writing, I don't know if it's true for you guys, but it's physically challenging, you know? Um, I mean, you're sitting at a computer for hours. It's a strain on every part of your body in some ways. But more than that, you're missing out on so much, you know? I have never been able to keep up with the current shows on TV because while the rest of the world is binging on those, you know, I'm sitting at my desk and writing. I've always had a day job while while being a writer. So I've had to be very, very judicious um, with my use of time. So this is not glamorous, sexy advice about writing. But all I will say is if you feel so moved to tell a story, then just stop talking about it, stop thinking about it and do it. And don't make excuses. You know, the fact is every human being on earth only has 24 hours in any given day. Nobody gets that extra 25th hour. Right. So put it to good use, sacrifice, give up other things. And, Also, the flip side of that is it's perfectly fine to go through your life without ever writing creatively. Ever, yeah. You don't have to. Hey, less competition for us, you know? (laughs) Go be the best plumber or electrician that you can. Don't write. But the people who need to write are the ones who will want to write, if that makes sense.
5: Yeah. Eating better is something we want to be convenient and easy. With Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals, every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. I'm looking forward to over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. What are you waiting for? Let's get started today and get after our goals. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prep, no mess. With Factor, there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Sign up and save. They've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Join us and head to factormeals.com fiction50 and use code FICTION50 to get 50% off. That's code FICTION50 at factormeals.com fiction50. To get 50% off.
0: I'm Kate. And I'm Corinne. We host the podcast, Pop Fiction Women. Where we deep dive into the best books, TV, and movies. As well as the women creating them. So who are we? Corinne is a lawyer who worked on Wall Street. She loves psychological
3: thrillers that keep her guessing. And has a soft spot for messy women trying to break cycles of
0: addiction and self-sabotage. And Kate is a litigator who worked at some of the top international law firms. She loves romantic comedies that keep her swooning and has a soft spot for the ice queens who learn to let their heart lead over their heads.
3: We cover a range of content like When Harry Met Sally, Fleabag, Yellow Jackets, Normal People, and Tell Me Lies.
0: And we also interview your favorite authors like Emily Giffen, Tia Williams, and Rebecca Searle. Where we always ask the most important question of all What's your sign? Subscribe or follow Pop Fiction Women wherever you get podcasts. Wow.
2: Okay. So, 3D, you know how heartfelt I find your books and how, how connected I always feel to them. And it reminds me of this quote uh, that you've, that's attributed to you. A book is a sort of interpretive dance between reader and writer. When the writer holds a book, they, when a reader holds a book, they bring their entire life experience to bear upon that book. In doing so, the book is transformed. Instead of dead words on the page, the book now becomes three-dimensional. The words rise off the page and enter the reader's life. It's a magical transformation that is the lifeblood of literature. A book without readers is just a pile of dead trees. That's.
1: Did that's I say that? Yes. Uh,
6: yes. That's pretty good.
2: And and, and that might be the most beautiful explanation of the glorious nature of reading that we've ever, ever, ever come across. Um, And we know that each reader will experience this particular book in a distinct way, but are there things that you hope readers take away from this novel?
6: Yeah, there are two things that I hope people take away from this novel. Um, One is um, I think I've uh, alluded to this before the power of forgiveness, right? Um, the power of letting go, the power of kindness, frankly, you know? And and I, I really do think, I mean, I apply this to my own life. You know, when you forgive somebody, you, you're not really doing it for them, right? You're doing it for yourself. Uh, it, there's a paradox there and I've never been able to figure it out, but it's a good paradox, you know? Um, you're, you're freeing something in yourself, although you think you're doing it for the sake of the other person. So that's one. But the other thing also is um, this book, as some of you have noted, does, does speak about immigration, it has this notion of the divided self. Um, my main character, as I've said earlier, is, is extremely lucky. He comes from a background of privilege in India, and he certainly occupies that same position in his life in America. And yet, despite every advantage, every privilege, there is a kind of longing in him, right? Um, When I was writing this book, it was during the Trump years. And there was a lot of immigrant bashing going on then. You might recall that, right? And granted, most of the conversation, of course, uh, revolved around the border and and people passing illegally uh, into the country. but I felt very strongly that if somebody like Remy, if somebody like me, you know, I came here with every privilege imaginable, right? And America has been nothing but good to me, right? And and if I can still sometimes feel that much turmoil and the pull and the tug, you know, the pull and push, um, I can't even begin to imagine what life would be like for somebody who comes here with nothing, right? right? So, Ron, you talked, you used the word empathy a few minutes ago. And I think at its best, that is what literature does. It just softens our hearts a little bit. You know, I have no illusions about the Museum of Failures. I don't think it's going to reset U.S. immigration policy. You know, it's not going to do any of this thing. For all I know, it may not even change anybody's mind about approaching this really morally charged topic of immigration differently than what they already believe. But if we can just soften the hearts, you know, if, if this calcification of the arteries, you know, that has happened in the last six, seven years in this country... If that can just lessen for even a moment, then then I'm very happy that I wrote this book. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful, Thredy. So are we.
4: If, we. if we could just get behind the eyes, behind the heart, under the skin, and if you can help us do that, yeah. golly, let's do it. Yeah. So Thredy, we have a question we love to ask around here, and we want to ask you now, and it's great because it combines with a live question we just got from Carrie Soderman, who wants to know what your relationship with your mother was like. And what we love to ask about is what the values around reading and writing were like in your home in Bombay. Were you encouraged to read and write? What were the what was the ethos around that? And what was your relationship like with your mother?
2: Yeah.
6: It was it was exactly the opposite of uh, <laughs> I, remember my, oh, good. Um, okay. I remember my mom coming to every uh, parent teacher conference with just one complaint. She reads too much. You know? <laughs> and and I would look from her to the teacher, like even at a young age, thinking, wait, wait, there's something wrong here. You know, this this is not the thing that she should be complaining about. But you know, I was an absent minded, goofy kid who was forever losing things and walked around with, you know, I was a dreamy kid, walked around with my head in the clouds. And I'm sure it was terribly irritating when it came to, you know, getting to school on time, waking up on time. Uh, I always had my nose in a book. Me too. So Yeah. So instead of, like, encouraging it, I mean, I wouldn't say – that I was actively discouraged from reading. Don't get me wrong, I don't want to overstate it. But I do remember, and now it seems funny to me, that this was the one thing my mom complained about every single parent-teacher conference. (laughs) Um, Having said that, I had an aunt who got me my very first um, library card. And libraries in India are not free like they are here. I remember when I came to this country, I went to Ohio State, Um, and I walked into that beautiful big library for the first time and very timidly approached uh, the librarian and I said, excuse me, uh, can you tell me how many books I can check out at one time? And she said, as many as you want. And I looked at her and I said, ha-ha, that's funny, but no, really, I'm, I'm sincerely asking you, how many books can I take out at a time? And she said, as many as you want. So I thought, okay, I'll call you bluff. So I said, okay, for how long? And she said, as long as you want, for the entire semester. And when I realized that, I mean, my knees just turned to jelly. Was like, oh God, yes. I'm like ended in this is really true. Everything I've heard about greatest country in the world and all that. Oh. I've just died and gone to heaven, you know. But so the library that I joined as a kid, um, was a private library. And it was just a monthly membership. And I had an aunt who, I think, throughout my life in India, paid that monthly fee for me wow. that encouraged me to read. And I would check That's out incredible. literally a book a day, you know?
2: That's a so, great story.
1: Wow. Oh, I'm so glad we asked that. That is such I a know, me too. What a great <laughs> answer. I love that. Well, we have one last question for Threddy, So stick with us, but first, quick couple messages from us.
3: Yeah. If you are not signed up for our weekly email newsletter yet, I just said yet twice. Anyway, make sure you you head over to friendsandfiction.com to sign up so that you're looped in on all our updates. We include exclusive Q&As with our guests like Thritty, which always cover more than we can get to on the show. So make sure you're subscribed.
2: Definitely. And we also love reminding you about our Friday podcast because it is so incredible. And we have had some of the most fascinating guests. In fact, 3D was joined us last year for her book honor. And we always post a link to the newest episode on Facebook and Instagram, or better yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And you'll be notified when each one drops. On the most recent episode, Patty and I talked to Ashley Winstead about Midnight is the Darkest Hour, which was just optioned for the screen. And coming this Friday, Christy and I will be talking with Rochelle Weinstein about what you do to me. And they're both so good. So good. I hope everybody tunes in and listens.
1: Yeah. Okay, thirty. before you go, can you tell our viewers where they can find you on the road and online in the coming weeks?
6: Oh, so I'm going to be at the Southern Festival of Books, uh, which is in Nashville, Tennessee, in just a couple of weeks. Right, Patty? Yeah, we'll We're both be, be there in October 21st, in fact. And it's only we... like 10 days away. Yeah, oh, coming up. such that. a
3: good festival. Yeah. I
6: love yeah. It. And I'm going to do the Miami Book Festival um, later in November. Um And you can always find me on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, and a little bit on Twitter, too.
1: All right. Well, you have been an amazing guest, and we are so grateful that you came on and shared your story with us. It was a really unforgettable night, and I'm sure that all of our viewers feel the same and one that I know I'll be watching again. So thank you for sharing your time. And to all of you out there, please make sure that you check out the Museum of Failures out now. Thank you so much. 30. Thank
6: you guys. You guys are just incredible. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so How
1: are much. you? I'm I'm Take Congrats.
6: Lovely, lovely seeing you all. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Don't forget that you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. We'll be back next week to welcome Jean Kwok, author of The Leftover Woman. We have such a fun episode in store for you. And we'll see you in just a minute for the after show. So stick around. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next week. Good night. Good night, y'all. Good night. What, uh, a uh, what a what guest!
2: What a guest! Yeah, I
3: mean, I feel yeah. like I'm, I'm knocked out. Totally, me too. Yeah, I,
2: it's what she's one of the kindest-hearted people I've ever met.
1: She's so she's funny like, and charming, and anyway, well, she's, also yeah. I just feel
4: kind of filled up,
1: right? Yeah. Yes, like yeah.
4: full of goodness and thought-provoking things, and um, yeah, what a night! Yeah.
3: I love what she said about forgiveness and empathy. Definitely. Yeah. yeah
1: she was incredible. She really this was. Is,
3: this is a time in history where we really have to study oh, those emotions.
1: True. Yeah, for sure. Wise words. Wise words, for sure. Well, speaking of wise, wonderful people, I know we all missed Kristen tonight, and I'm sure she missed being here with us. Um, oh, and I'm she- sure. Sure. I'm her parents. <laughs> she's, I'm sure she's super oh, sad. Oh, she's sorry to miss She did miss Aww, me. Says told, told you. Um, and um, she's getting ready to get on her plane to Paris. So she actually probably would just rather be here than getting on the plane part of the yeah, trip. True. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Speaking of that, so do you guys have any recent or upcoming travels that you're excited about, or you want to share with us?
4: Yeah, I, well, I'm going to the Southern Festival of Books, but that's just a couple hours up the road. But I am finally going to Hawaii, my yearly trip to Hawaii Yay. to see my daughter. And so I leave two weeks and little less than two weeks. Um, every day, my granddaughter on, on FaceTime or the phone says, Mamo, how many days and that na- or weeks? And now we're down to days. So I'm really excited. And then I'll be with our Mary Kay when um, we'll both be teaching in Hawaii at the Kauai Writers Conference. So that is my big trip. And I'm, I'm usually kind of sad to leave, but I know I'm home in my <laughs> office, but the rest of my house is uninhabitable. This one square in my office <laughs> is the only inhabitable thing. So um, a lot is supposed to get done while I'm gone. So that's
3: good that's good how about how you, you what, about what about you, you? Me? yeah sorry um you know i'm tomorrow i go to florence south carolina to the library there um and i'm looking forward to that then friday i'm in charleston and saturday i'm in hilton head i come home i work on rewrites <laughs> I'm going next weekend. I'm going to the West Virginia um, Festival of Books, and I'm excited about that. I've never been to that festival. Mm-hmm. And then I've got some more tour stuff. And then my as Patty said, I will be in Kauai, Hawaii, um, starting November 8th. I'm looking forward to that. And then I haven't been in California for a long time. So I've got three. Um, I've got three tour dates in um, California on the way back from Hawaii. And so I am going to be with a couple of writers um, who I haven't met in person, but whose work I adore. So I'm going to be with Julia Whalen, whose book I I loved. Thank you for listening. I'm going to be with her in L.A., at Zibby Books, and I'm gonna be in San Diego. I I, I don't know that I'm brain dead. And Just, then it's yeah. on your website. Yeah, it's on my website. All the deets are on my website. And then I'm gonna, I have never been to Palm Springs. So super pumped about that because I'm gonna be in discussion with Stephen Rowley, That's who so wrote, great. I think. I know Ron and I both went gaga over the
2: gunkle. The gunkle, yeah. So yeah. did
4: Meg. She's she's like an evangelist for that book. I am too. So <laughs> Yeah. Th- so that's that's what I've got coming up. Oh, so many exciting things. And, mm-hmm. and a rewrite? Okay.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs>
2: yep, Ron, what about you? Somewhere? Well, I- You just got um, back
1: from New York.
2: I just I got back from I New York. I didn't get to go with you. I know. These I was really able to. <laughs> It was another whirlwind, fun, amazing trip with great shows and great food, and got to see some great friends. And um, it's what was just- your
3: favorite show?
2: Oh, I it might be "Merrily We Roll Along."
3: I'd like to see that just for the historic value.
2: Ex- yeah, exactly, but it's Daniel Radcliffe and Jonathan Groff, so it's like star power. So it was a great. What
3: show. is What is it about?
2: What is it's a story told uh, backwards, and it's about these friendships and kind of like these people that are creative. One is a novelist, one is a songwriter, and one is a lyricist. And it's kind of how they all – goes all the way back to where they first met. But it starts at the end where their lives are all really messy. But the oh, okay. music is okay. so I know beautiful. Is. Okay. Yeah. And I had forgotten some of the songs from it, so I'm like, wow.
3: So it was not a hit the first time around on Broadway, right?
2: It was not. No, Who
3: was. Now tell us about it. It's a composer and all that.
2: Uh Stephen Sondheim.
3: That's what I thought. I, th- I thought it was a Sondheim play.
2: And you can tell. I mean, I could like I could hear some of the music and go like, "Hey, this sounds like Company."
1: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Great. How about you, Christy? Um, we have a lot of like little stuff coming up. Like we're going to Bald Head next or this coming weekend with um a bunch of like friends from out of town, but they all have they're like some of Will's little Will's best friends. So that's gonna be really fun. It's like a bunch of families. We got two huge houses side by side. So it'll be chaos. If you haven't been to Baldhead, it's really cool. You take a ferry over and there are no cars and I was there this uh, summer. It's amazing. Yeah. No, I know. No, I meant I meant the collective audience. No, no, I know. I know. <laughs> it's amazing yeah. though. Um, yeah. And then we're going to a football game and um I think go going to West, right after Christmas, which we're all really excited about because. Where are you going? West, after Christmas? No, I'm going to Key West. Again, so I've been since I was like little and the boys want to fish. And of course, i want to go to the Hemingway house. And I love being a tourist and doing like the comp train. And That's um, awesome. so I think my parents are going to go and we're going to do like a big family Aww. trip. Sounds awesome. Relive the glory moments and so lots of fun stuff coming up. Um, but yeah, much to look forward to. Yes, so guys, this was so fun. Um, I, loved seeing, I love seeing all of you. Thanks for filling yes. in, Ron. We love it. When Thank you're you here. for having so, me. Of course my my yeah,
2: <laughs> it was amazing.
1: Yeah, well, Kristen, if
4: you're still listening, we hope you have the most amazing trip.
3: Yeah. We,
1: do. we love you and we miss you. Yeah. Wait, are we going to talk about our favorite place?
3: A book has been set. I wanted to talk about that.
1: Okay. 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 I was going to let you go, but if you want to talk about that, you let's talk about it. You've got up earliest, so I thought I would let you go. <laughs> let's talk about your favorite place that a book has ever taken you.
3: No, I want you all to talk. No. Nope. <laughs> no, nope, it's first. on you. You go first. I just like that question. Um, you know, I went to London in May with a couple of good friends. And fortunately, they are um, total um, history buffs and book nerds. And each of us chose kind of a place we really wanted to see on this trip. And I chose Bletchley Park Hmm. outside of London, where so much of the World War II enigma code breaking happened. And I had read, uh, I read about it in in several different novels, but I read a lot about it in Kate Quinn's The Rose Code, which I, I just adore. I'm a huge fan of her work. And that was a, um, a really cool thing to to see. I know you so, made
4: me yeah. want to see it when you sent all the pictures.
1: Yeah, it was you know? so neat
4: because we've all read about it. Even yes, and Kate Quinn's, but it's been in a lot. I mean, oh what yeah, was the, of- what was the one about him decoding
3: the movie where oh, he? Oh, Alan Turing. Yeah. Um,
2: the Imitation Game.
3: Right. The Imitation Game was yeah,
1: which yeah, is I so I've always
3: was- wanted to yeah. get out
4: there and see it. So. Yeah.
1: What about you, Patty? So the.
4: The best place a book like has imaginatively taken me to, or literally taken me to, I'm going to go with literal. Taylor's choice. I'm going to do literal because, and I'm going to selfishly say mine because when when I was doing research for becoming Mrs. Lewis, um, I just I had always loved England and London, but when I went to visit all the places that are in that book, it I just felt so attached. And what did I do? I wrote another. T- three books or the one, even the one I'm working on, set in that kind of um, atmosphere. But I will say that I felt like I'd kind of visited it because I visited it a lot in one of the authors that Mary Kay and I talk about, which is Kate um, Morton. And when I used to read her books, I used to always think, I want to visit the English countryside, the way she described it, all the mystery. And then when I finally got to do it, I was like, Bing, I love it so. Ron,
2: so um, it's no secret that I one of my favorite books of all time is *The Prince of Tides*. uh, Mm. Conroy, and I think the um, the first time it connected for me was when I was going over the bridge for the um, as an adult into New Bern and I saw the low country and it just made me absolutely fall in love with the South. And ever since then, I've just been obsessed with it and, um, everything about the book and the setting, it just, it stayed with me forever.
1: Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. I love that answer. Um, well, I think for me, this is like, I I love that I wrote this question and didn't think didn't think about it. (laughs) didn't occur to me to have an answer to the question. No, but this is like going way back in my childhood. But I remember being, I was like 10, I guess. And no, I think I was in, I was in seventh grade. I was in seventh grade. So however old you are 13. And I read this book about Pompeii. And so my parents, we were doing a trip to Italy And, you know, doing all the, it was back, you know, when you get like the big photos guide, there was no like internet to like search where you were going. So you'd like flip through all the places you want to go. And I just kept being like, I want to go to Pompeii. I want to go to Pompeii. I want to go to Pompeii because I just read this book about Pompeii and I just thought it was like the coolest thing, um, in the whole world. And so, um, I'll always remember that because I feel like it was the first place that I ever like really wanted to go, you know, and they like took me and it was really, I mean, it's something that I still remember to this day and something that, you know, it's, it's, Creepy and bizarre, but very unique and interesting. I would
4: love to see that. And when I see it in movies or read about it in books, I, I or, or like when people show it on Instagram, like they visited, it's like a frozen in time. Oh, it just yeah. I would love so to so bizarre.
1: That. I mean, it really is. It's like it is. It's it's literally frozen in time. And yeah, yeah and I think it was just cool too, because it was the first place that I was like, this is where I want to go. And I remember I'm here kind of being like, oh, <laughs> okay.
4: okay, creepy girl. Great,
1: <laughs> but then we all loved it and just thought it was like fascinating. And I mean, you know, it's sad. Like, uh, you it's know, sad. I mean, yeah, it's sad. But it's just so fascinating that this like whole civilization is just frozen in time forever. Yes. So Anyway, on that thrilling note, <laughs> I got
3: dead note. Let's go.
1: Okay. <laughs> See if I thought about it, I would have picked something more cheerful. <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) On a note, I have tortellini to have for dinner. All right, guys. pasta,
1: too. You are. Yeah.
2: Nice.
1: All right, everybody. Well, sleep tight. Good night. Have an amazing night. night.
2: Everybody, we'll see you next
1: week. Okay.
2: Bye. bye.
0: Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here.